This episode brought to you by Team Stripes Academy. Learn from some of the top officials in the world. Start today at TeamStripesAcademy.com. You're listening to the Team Stripes Podcast, the podcast for hockey referees. Each show, we discuss the world of officiating and find out that not everything is in black and white. Here's your host, Brandon Bourgeois. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Team Stripes Podcast. You're tuning in to episode number 47. On this episode, we have a great official with us today. His name's Joe Sullivan. Now, a little bit of background on Joe. He's a really well-regarded official in the NCHC, which is the National Collegiate Hockey Conference. And along the way to working that level, he's also worked uh, juniors, minor pro, and the American League, along with lots of other levels of hockey. But uh, before I get too far into that, Joe, I want to welcome you on to the uh, Team Stripes podcast. Thanks, Brandon. Hi to everybody listening in uh, U.S. and Canada. So, Joe, tell us, uh, how did you get your start? Uh, what's what's kind of your story? Well, you know, I was, uh, I was pretty lucky uh, from a young age. I got into officiating right away at uh, 13 years old and was able to was able to work my way pretty quickly through local games and then... When I was 16, I uh, got the opportunity to go up to the North American League training camp, and you know had a good showing there. Uh, showed off, uh, showed off my skating, and just skated as hard as I could, really. And got an opportunity to start lining junior hockey in the North American League at 16, which in 2000 was a uh, was a pretty rough and tumble game. Uh, I remember my my first game was a showcase in St. Louis with a bunch of teams and of course, you know, line brawl breaks out and you know, I decide, you know, as a 16-year-old kid that I'm going to jump right in there between two guys without my partner and I'll never forget that uh you know, I caught a I caught a cross right, you know, right on the face and you know, I shake my head and I look on, on the glass. My dad's standing right there on the glass, and I look right at him. And he is laughing so hard, um, you know. And after we get in the car after the game, and uh, you know, he says, I "Guess you're not going to do that ever again." I said, "No, I think I'll wait for my partner." So, you know, you learn pretty quick in those in those situations. But had some really good opportunities and got to uh, got to move move to the ODP uh, thanks to Scotty Brand and uh, ref my first USHL game at. 18 before I uh, went back and played a couple of years of college club at Lindenwood University here in uh, St. Charles, Missouri, and then went to work full-time for Scotty Brand in the USHL and the ODP, uh, working a ton of games, all the different levels. I was able to, fortunate enough to do three Clark Cup finals and a couple of all-star games and moving on to the Southern Pro League and working a final there and getting, you know, getting my uh, feet wet with the United League and the second version of the IHL when that came in and all the other minor pro leagues. So got a lot of experience at a young age at many, many high levels. Um, got to see a lot of different things. And you, as you know, in the three-man system, you know, back in those days, a little rough and tumble hockey, um, you know, you got to see a lot and learn a lot really quick and have so many different experiences. But that uh, that paved the way for me to get hired by Joey Ernst and Brian Lewis in the ECHL and was fortunate enough to work, uh, work for them for seven years. I uh, was also fortunate enough to work the American Hockey League on a part-time basis for five years, um, you know, which was a great experience seeing all those players and 
you know, and then um, the National Collegiate Hockey Conference was born, and with the with the Big Ten coming into play, and Donnie Adam came and saw me one night in Salt Lake City, and we talked about it, and uh, it was a great opportunity as, you know, I'd kind of been passed over by the NHL and was starting, looking to start a career and uh, and a home life, and, um, you know, the schedule with college hockey is so great for that, you know, with it being on the weekends, and, you know, so I jumped in first year, still working, still working the American League and ECHL, and then working college, you know, two, three weekends a month, and after that first season where I was able to, you know, work conference championship game, move on to the NCAA regionals, I saw that as kind of my opportunity to, you know, uh, call it uh, call it a career with pro hockey, move on and focus on uh, focus on my new career in the golf industry, and but still be able to be an officiating at a very high level at the NCAA Division One at the level there with uh, the, with the great teams that we have in the National Collegiate Hockey Conference. And you really, you really did put together, and you still continue to have quite the amazing career. And one thing you mentioned to me off the air is that a big part of the reason you got to progress the way you did is because you were a yes official. For the listeners at home, could you tell us what being a yes official is all about? Well, it's something I talk about whenever I whenever I go to seminars or talk to young officials. Is that you know I was always a, especially coming up when I was younger, and even through my pro career, was that I. I always said yes, um, you know, no matter, no matter what, whatever game it was, wherever I needed to go, you know, it was, um, you, you know, and I became, I became a guy who assigners could count on because they knew if they're in a pinch, they could call me in 90% of the time, I'd be able to get there. So, you know, it, it's one of those things where, you know, if you're a guy who that assigner calls and, you know, three times in a row, you're saying no. Well, they're probably going to stop calling you. Um, I'll tell you a story. There's one time I was. It was a week where I got to work the ECHL All Star Game and to put together Joey Ernst made this long road trip out west to you know make it feasible money wise to you know pay for the trip and, and I was gone for you know 14 days going out in California and out in Salt Lake City and going on a swing and I was in the I was on my way home, and I was in the airport in Las Vegas, sitting on the floor, charging my phone. And you know, I got a phone call, and it was Rod Pasma from the American Hockey League. And you know, he he asked, he said, "Well, we need uh, we need an official in Oklahoma City." I said, "Okay, great. When?" Um, well, that's tomorrow. I said, "Okay. Well, uh, you know, is there is there flight info? You just want to email it over? I'll go." And he said, "Well, no, you we're worried about this snowstorm, which is why all the uh, all the flights are getting canceled. And because of how far south you live, you'll go south of that storm." And so I drove, I flew home from Vegas, uh, spent the night, and woke up at 6 a.m. the next morning and drove out to drove out to Oklahoma City, which is about seven and a half hours away. And you know, and that was tough. I was, uh, was first year being married, and you know, having uh, having my home life, and you know, I'm gone for gone for 14, 15 days, and got to come home and tell tell the wife that hey, I'm leaving tomorrow morning, and I'll be back in a few more days. So you know, it's uh, but something like that where it turns into more games for the American League because that was my first year in it, and uh, was really beneficial for my career. And when you're getting thrown in, because obviously you know. 
taking that approach, obviously you're getting exposed to a lot, a lot of hockey. Is that does that you know is that a mental strain at times to have to to work so much and to be thrown in those type of situations? Did it kind of maybe strengthen you mentally in terms of being prepared for whatever might be thrown at you? Yeah, I mean, I think it was I think it was amazing for my development. And you see the other guys; so many guys have the same stories, um, who've gone through the same thing that I have. That in a real, it really grows you as an official. You know, whether it's uh, you know having to know. I I think one year I had five different rule books I was working out of, and you know trying to keep all that straight between the different games and working, you know, working different leagues every night and seeing different levels. You know, and trying to adapt not only to speed but maturity of players because that was uh you know that's always the hardest thing to get used to is going from going from reffing boys to reffing men right uh because you got to talk to them a little different they're going to talk to you a lot different and uh kind of going going through that and realizing okay every night you just kind of got to reset and you know see what the game brings you and is that that's something interesting you mentioned too? Is sort of the difference because I think you're somebody obviously you've worked you know different leagues like the American League, the East Coast, NCAA, and NCHC. Like, is there is there a difference in in sort of maybe the way the game is played or the way the game's officiated between the pro levels and the college levels? Yeah, you know, I think there's a lot more. Uh, I mean, especially when I was in it with the three-man system. Um, you know, did I did a ton of games in the American League in the three-man system, and in pro hockey, you're more, I would say, more of a game manager um, because you are dealing with guys who are making a living playing hockey, and so you're managing the game. You're, you know, you might come in. You know, I remember right when I got into pro hockey. You know, I went out and you know I was going to call the standard. I, called a whole bunch of penalties and really pissed off a bunch of guys and you know realized okay maybe i need to have a little bit more feel here um the college game now as it is is so wide open um and that's in a big part to you know what we've done especially in our conference as officials is really eliminating the stick play and you know it's really open up the game is such a speed game it's so wide open it really showcases the skill of these players so you really have to be really have to be on your toes at every instant of the game because it's just going to break out and go where you know the pro game is a lot more structured and a lot more systems and you know you kind of you it, that's what made it easy to skate it in a three man system was that you know, you knew where guys were going to go. You knew how play was going to break out. And you might have the odd rush here or there, you know, a few five, six-minute rallies. But, you know, usually it's very controlled and very, very, uh, you know, very systems-oriented. Right. And kind of shifting a little bit, and I know this is a subject that you're passionate about, and I think it's something that when we talk about, you know, getting people to, to officiating and getting, you know, uh, young hockey players into wearing the stripes. It's about you know learning those skills that you can apply off the ice. And I know that's that's a big passion for you. And I'm just wondering if you can maybe talk about maybe some of the skills that you've learned and maybe some of the skills that you think uh, are, are really valuable in becoming an official. Well, you know, it's one of those things where I think that your skills developed on the ice from officiating. You get to see so much more in you know, conflict resolution, communication skills. You're learning that it's such a higher clip than anybody working really any normal job as they're as they're younger and, you know, learning those job skills that they're gonna have for the rest of their life. 
where, you know, I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was a great communicator all the time, but I learned how to be a really good communicator. And that's helped me so much professionally because, I mean, especially in the job that I'm in, um, as a golf professional, I have a very busy course where we do a lot of, a lot of events and dealing with, uh, dealing with chairpersons, you know, and things come up because, you know, you're de- you know, all the people who are working for your college or high school kids and they might drop the ball on something and chairperson is going to get angry, but I'm always able to make sure that through communication, you know, the same way I would a coach is to kind of talk them down off the ledge, you know, let them know what's happening, give them some some resolution and be able to turn it and turn a situation into a positive and then they come away from the day with a great experience you know where you know really learning at the college level is really where I felt that my communication went to a next step um, because you want to communicate with the coaches because those are the guys who are going to be there for a long time. Those players are going to be there for four years and then they're going to move on to pros or their next step in life. Those coaches are going to be there for a long time. You're going to deal with them throughout your whole career. So, you know, being able to communicate and make those relationships really, um, really was beneficial both on the ice and then learning how to do that off the ice has really kind of boosted my professional career. And I'm just curious for your perspective because you you talked about communication. I think that's that's a, that's a, that's a very important aspect of officiating, obviously. But to you, do you think that's something that you know a lot of officials, especially the ones that move on to to work the higher levels, are sort of naturally gifted at, or is that something that really has to come with, you know, grinding it out and building that experience? Yeah, I mean, there's um, you know, there's two kinds of communicators. There's uh, there's the guys who just have it naturally. You know, and you watch him work. Um, Johnny A. Bear was one of those guys. Watching him in the Coast League and the American League as he was coming up or before he got hired, seeing the way that he was able to communicate with players and coaches, he just had that natural gift, right? And then there's other guys, you know, like myself, who kind of had to learn that and learn where, you know, your personality and what you can do and what you can say and, you know, kind of learn your voice, Um you know, not unlike any any other job, um, you know. But the guys who are the guys who are talented at it and figure it out, whether it comes naturally or whether it's a learned practice, um, those are the guys who are always going to move up and be successful because communication is so important, both with players and with coaches. You know, dur- during play and between whistles, it it goes it goes a long way. And I think that, that's, that's very well said. And one thing, I mean, obviously we talk about, you know, the skills that you can apply off the ice. And, uh, you know, certainly as, a, as an NCHC official, you are big in doing a charitable event off the ice. I'm wondering if you could fill in the, uh, the listeners on what you guys were able to do for the, uh, the, with the NCHC officials. Yeah, so we started uh, we started our November fundraiser with the first year, first year of the league. Um, you know, and it was... You know, it's pretty. It's pretty loose. We, uh, you know, hey, grow a mustache. Make sure to donate, and uh, you know, we raised a few hundred dollars. And then the next year, um, the official who was running had taken a year off, and so we didn't have anybody to really, really spearhead it. And um, you know, I called this the first week of November, and you know, I called Donnie Adam, and after a game, and I said, well, you know, should we? should we start a Movember page? Like, you know, how are we going to collect this money this year? And he said, well, you're the first person to ask, so I guess you're in charge of it. So, you know, that kind of jumped me into it and started the page. And we were able to raise, you know, about 
$700 that next year. And then I got the idea to start a golf tournament at the course that I was working at um, the last week of October, right before November hit. And, you know, sold it out and was able to, you know, double the double the amount of money that we raised the previous year. So um, that kind of got us the, the idea that events was the way to go. And other guys, other guys got involved in different areas. And now uh, we have we have my golf tournament. We also had silent auctions this year at a University of Denver game and a University of North Dakota game. Uh, and those brought us in a lot of money, um, you know, from. You know, thankfully, we were able to get some really nice items and uh, had some very generous donations for those items, signed jerseys, signed sticks, that types of thing that are, uh, you know, especially of alums of those universities that were very popular. And uh, this year, we are, we also moved uh, to an online auction for a couple of items, uh, some you know, some really, really nice items, those Zach Parisi wild jersey, um, and also a round at the round for four at the Sanctuary, which is a very exclusive golf course in Colorado. And that went for went for a lot of money. But um, where we also stepped it up this year was online, knowing that that presence was needed. Um, Dan Drager, one of our officials out west, he really stepped up the efforts, and you know we had a lot of traction online, sharing sharing posts on Twitter and Facebook, and uh, I also worked with a filmmaker friend of mine who were able to develop a 30-second video um, that from with some game footage and let everybody know what we were doing. And fortunate enough that uh, a couple of schools put that up on their video board, and you know it really showcased what we were what we were doing as officials off the ice, um, kind of humanizing us for one month a year, looking like idiots with, you know, these awful mustaches on our face, but doing something, doing something really good for, uh, you know, for men's health with the Movember Foundation. No, and I think it's it's been amazing what you guys have done. And I was telling you off the air that it's you know it was it was far and wide the exposure you you had to that way beyond just the NCHC. I think many of our listeners will have seen what you're doing. So I think we we really appreciate what you're doing. And I, I'm just curious because you know you talk about doing something like this, and it's amazing how we can humanize officials, <laughs> even if it's just for one month. We can humanize folks, and I'm just curious because you know was there any sort of effects that you guys had? To sort of maybe build build up relationships with maybe coaches or or, or, or whoever might else might be involved in in the college game through that initiative. Well, yeah, I mean, on the ice, it definitely uh, definitely breaks down some barriers when you got uh, you know when you got the little lip music going on and you know you're talking to a captain or something. You just see him staring at your awful mustache and you got to tell him to tell him to you know my eyes are up here, bud. And uh, <laughs> but. No, and talking to coaches about it, and they love it, you know, because they're they're participating as well. But um, off the ice, it kind of allows our guys who are heavily involved in this. They, you know, they make relationships with people who are more behind the behind the scenes with these teams, whether it's marketing people, you know, the uh, communications people, the SIDs, the equipment managers trying to, you know, get some, get some items for the, these auctions and, you know, and then putting our, putting our uh, stuff out there with press releases and the online stuff, getting the teams to share it. You're able to make relationships with those office people. Cause like I said, just like the coaches, you know, the players are only here for four, maybe five years if they redshirt. You know, so you get to know them pretty well, and you do get you do get relationships with them. But the people you really get to know are those guys behind the scenes, and making relationships with those people. It just 
you know, going into an arena, seeing, seeing a friendly face. And then that really humanizes you. Um, you know, they don't just see as the guy who's coming in to call penalties on, on their team. You know, you're, you're a guy who they worked with and, you know, had conversations with and, you know, and that, that goes a long way towards rapport. And that's, again, it's, it's been amazing what you guys have done and the fact that you're able to raise well over $20,000 in support of that, that initiative is really remarkable. And I'm, I'm just curious because you talk about, you know, your involvement now with the NCHC, and I'm sure that we have a lot of listeners out there that maybe one day aspire to reach that, that level. They probably go to a lot of your games now. I mean, just talk us through, like, what are some of the big rinks for you guys to go to? What are some of the big, the big games you enjoy doing in that, uh, in that conference? Yeah, I mean, we're we're really fortunate in our conference that, uh, you know, we don't really have a bad rink to go to. Um, you know, obviously, University of North Dakota, the Ralph Engelstead Arena is just a palace. And, you know, 11,000 seats jammed every night and a great atmosphere. You know, but on the opposite end of the, of the spectrum, we have Western Michigan, who plays in an older barn, you know, with about 3,600 seats and just a just an animal of a of a student fan base with the loss and lunatics there um you know so that's an incredible environment as well in a completely different in a completely different way um you know we're we're fortunate with our league to work in front of a lot of big crowds a lot of great environments and you know some great buildings that uh is so professional you know where you know, I think uh, going from coming from pro hockey and doing those games, you know, the the grinding games where, you know, maybe it's a Wednesday, you know, and there's 2000 people in a 10,000 seat arena. You know, you don't really see that in our conference. So the the energy is always electric and uh, makes it really exciting, you know, every single time you get on the ice. And I'm just curious as we sort of wrap up uh, wrap up the podcast. I mean, what do you have any games coming up in the schedule that you're looking forward to here? Yeah, well, I uh, you know just had the opportunity to uh, to go to Vegas for the Ice Vegas Invitational. I uh, had a great weekend out there working uh, working Western Michigan and Air Force, UConn and St. Lawrence. Had some great games. Uh, and now we're coming into the uh, kind of the heart of the college season. So got some big ones coming up here with conference play. You know, when, once we get into the conference season, every game is so big because these these teams are just fighting fighting for their lives and. You know, our conference is so strong that I think currently we have four teams that are in the top 15 in the country, and none of our teams are below 30 in the pairwise. So all of our teams are in the top half of the 60 NCAA Division One teams. And, you know, as they as they fight for their uh, fight for their tournament bursts here, you know, it's uh, it's always exciting once we get into January and February and then come down to the wire here in March. It's always uh, it's always uh, crunch because the college season is so short. So, you know, playoff hockey really starts really starts now, you know, if not earlier, a lot of years, because, you know, if these teams fall behind, it's really hard to really hard to get back. But yeah, I got a lot of uh, a lot of games coming up and uh, really looking forward to the rest of the year. And we really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. And uh, before we let you go, one thing that I know you're, you're very passionate about as well, in addition to quite a few other things we talked about today, is, is developing officials. And we normally we like to leave these podcasts with, with sort of advice for officials out there. I'm wondering, Joe, if you might offer, uh, in addition to a lot of the things you talked about with, you know, gaining values and learning skill sets you can apply off the ice, 
if you might leave uh, you know some of the listeners with uh, with a bit of a nugget of wisdom uh, to, to end off the show. Yeah, I mean, I would tell anybody who is looking to develop as an official is to work on two things, and that is communication and skating. Um, skating, being a great skater, not only not only goes a long way as far as getting yourself into position and being able to see play, but also um, getting that rapport with coaches immediately. You know, if you're a guy who steps on the ice and you can buzz around the rink, you know, kind of show off a little bit, you know, those coaches are going to see, you know, see you a little different than the guy who's maybe, you know, maybe not showing how fast he can skate or maybe he can't skate as fast. Um, you know, it's something I worked on from the second that I started officiating. That was one of the reasons I got into officiating was because I didn't have a lot of on-ice time uh, when I was playing at the youth level as far as practice time because we practiced once a week, we played a game on the weekend, that was really it. So officiating, I was able to get on the ice more and I just I just wanted to skate as hard as I could and get as fast as I could because I, I, loved, watching, I loved watching speed skaters and watching their form and seeing how fast they could go and I really wanted to make myself the best skater possible and once that I saw that you know that opened doors for me I wanted to become an even better skater so working on power skating and really getting that edge work and your form and your stride down you know um, becoming a stronger skater and stronger on your skates so you're not falling down out there getting knocked over you know in the corner stuff like that being able to hold your ground um, really goes a long way as developing as an official I think that's that's Particularly relevant advice, as you know, especially when we look at how the game's evolved and how it's changed and the speed involved. So, Joe, uh, really thank you uh, for, for for taking the time to chat. We know you you got a lot going on here, uh, balancing as you said, no, you know, life on the ice and off the ice. So we really appreciate it, um, and we wish you best of luck down the uh, down the road and uh, as the season goes on. Thank you, Brandon. Thanks to everything that you're doing to help officials develop.